0: Be- not this, not this, not this, not Welcome to the Beyond the Bucket Show, a podcast centered around optimizing all lives' buckets. We all have buckets we
1: are balancing, coaching, entrepreneurial ventures, family, passion projects, and health. Let's all take this journey together and become bucket fillers. And here's your host, Chris McSwain. Welcome back to Beyond the Buckets. Thank you for joining us. We've got another fantastic guest today, uh, the owner and founder of Cutting Edge Sports and Fitness, also the head softball coach at Lee High School, been a varsity coach uh, on the baseball side as well at Los Gatos High and several other places. So uh, really looking forward to have my guest today, Justin Oliver. Welcome to the program.
0: Appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. I've been looking forward to this since you asked and uh, appreciate everything you're doing. Um, You know, just all the different coaches you have, all the different nuggets you can pick up Um, and then expanding outside of just basketball. It just it's helpful as a coach to get the inside of all these great coaches that you interview, including yourself. So I appreciate the time now.
1: Well, thank you. Uh, some of my favorite episodes are the baseball episodes because baseball coaches have a lot to say, and there's just so much idle time when it comes to baseball, and uh, I just think that's where you get the the gift of gab, so happy to have you on, man, and uh, I'd like to start with the first question, which is a fun fact about yourself, so give me uh, a fun fact about you that even if somebody knows you, might not even know. <laughs>
0: A uh, fun fact about myself is I do like pets and I do have a bearded dragon and it is my pet in the household. Um, you know, I think at 40 years old, people are like, you get, you get the cat and it's the kids, but I do have a bearded dragon and it is my pet. So that's a fun fact about me.
1: Well, Didn't know that. How, uh, how big is that? How big is it?
0: He's big, man. He's probably over a foot. He's three years old. So uh, I actually just had a lesson today and um the daughter that comes and watches her brother in the lesson is all in lizards. so i actually came back to my house and held a bearded dragon so it's good it's a good conversation starter
1: and what are like what is the what is the thing of a bearded dragon like i know what a dog thing is it's like companionship <laughs> but what is what does a bearded dragon actually do for you
0: dude it's the best pet it sits there it eats like salad and then it just looks at you and when you're watching tv or you're hanging out you just you pull him out. He'll sit on your shoulder, or he either just sits on the couch and just kind of looks at you, man. So doesn't move super quick, low key. Doesn't have teeth, which is cool. So and he's kid friendly, so it's all good. You
1: know, your wife and kids get uh, get alarmed like at all? I mean, if I seen this big old big old <laughs> lizard, I think I'd I'd have a have an issue with it.
0: Well, you know what's funny is my wife, when I got it, Carrie, is like, oh, you know, that's your pet. You know, I'm not touching it. But the other day, moved, it's Kate, and all of a sudden, she had it out in the living room, and she's the one that got it out. So, I think after three years, it's kind of uh, rubbed off. on her. Bed. I do have some buddies. Um, and here's this grown man just sprinting outside the house anytime wow. he, see, he sees it. So uh, it's good, man, but not everyone's a, a fan of him. That's for sure.
1: For sure. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a kickoff to the podcast. So that's cool. Um, but why don't we start with, uh, just a little, uh, for some context, a little background about you and who you are and how you've gotten to where you're at right now. So maybe a three minute backstory. Now, when I said this to Nate, his three <laughs> minute, his, his, his three minute backstory. Minutes went to like a seven to nine minute span. So you do have that leeway if you need to keep going.
0: You know what's cool, man, Nate and I've coached so long together. And anytime he'd start his speeches, I'd kind of go in the office and I'd come back to see if he was done. So now I'll keep it to three minutes, man. Um, you know, I played junior college baseball, at San Jose City College. Um, from there, I got a scholarship, played a small division two out in Bismarck, North Dakota. Uh, that's where I met my wife. Uh, when I left there after my senior year, I got engaged. And then a former scout, Dwayne Bozik, um called me up and he's like, you know, you want to get into coaching with me? And I was like, yeah, where are you at? I didn't even know where he was at. And he was at St. Lawrence Academy when there was a St. Lawrence. Um, so I started coaching there and I actually kind of fell in love with him. And to be honest, um, working with the kids, I didn't know a how I'd be as a coach or be what I would like. But Kerry is back in North Dakota and I was here for a year making money for the wedding. Um, so I kind of jumped into it and really loved it. And from there, I went on to Saratoga High School. Um, after that applied for the Los Gatos job, became an assistant over at Las Gatos. Um, then we started having kids and my daughter was born with a health defect. So I got out of coaching for just a couple years, but then, you know, once one door closes, the other opens, I got a call from uh, the Boston Red Sox and they asked if I'd be interested in, you know, being a scout. Um, so I jumped into the scouting scene for about two and a half years, which was cool. I mean, it really opened the door to a ton of connections with college coaches um just a lot of really good people you know pro at all different levels um and after the two and a half years i just you know scouting so hard as you know i mean it's just you spend most of your time writing people off and you know i just i miss coaching i wanted to get back there and help kids kind of reach their goals whether that was just play high school go jc you know nai d1 d2 whatever it may be you know and uh so i jumped back into coaching um i assisted with nate over at lee uh, then I went back to Las Gatos with him. Um, and then I moved out, geez, where were we, 2018 to back to North Dakota. Um, I was a coach at BSC, the junior college out there. Uh, then we were moving back after that year. Um, and I knew Nate was going to step down at Las Gatos. So, I, you know, I sat down with Carrie and the kids. I said, you know, I want to throw my hat in this thing. And there's a lot of great um, coaches that were going for it. And, you know, push came to shove. In 2020, I got that job. Um, So I was there for three seasons. Uh, And then the the funniest part is, you know, my daughter became a freshman at Lee and we were playing Lee on the baseball side at Los Gatos and uh, AD is the head baseball coach over here. And uh, I just kind of asked him as a parent, I said, what's going on with the softball program? Like, you know, I noticed they weren't doing very well. The numbers were low you know, and he said, yeah, I know we're working on it. So I knew I was going to step down when the season ended because there's no way as a dad, I was going to miss my daughter's high school career. You already, you know, as, you know, as a coach, you miss so many things uh, with your family, um, coaching. And, uh, so I thought I was just going to be a dad in the lounge chair down the line, man. And, uh, you know, going to games and, you know, just sitting back and next thing I know here I am the varsity softball coach at Lee. I brought my staff from Los Gatos over and, you know, the cool thing about it, Chris, is, you know, baseball, I mean, I had a great time. I mean, it's so many great games and memories and the players, but man, in softball, you don't have to wear the uniform, you know what I mean? So, I mean, you coach in shorts, you can coach in kind of whatever you want, you know, as long as you have the hat on. So, uh, you know, we fell in love with it and, uh, you know, coaching your daughter on the same field. I just, there's nothing, nothing like it, you know? So it's, it's been an awesome transition. It's definitely been a transition. Um. But it's been awesome man. I'm loving my time here at Lee. So that's kind of just my background just like any coach kind of bounced around all over the place till you kind of find find out home.
1: Yeah, I think that's uh that's one familiar thing that we all have is just the different places that you go, the people that you get to meet, and then the opportunities that come because of that. And it could just be a small, very small conversation that gets you in the door or something like that. And um, you never know, you were coaching baseball, you were a scout for baseball, you played baseball, and then you end up coaching softball because the opportunity came and, and truth be told, I had no real interest in coaching uh, girls or women's basketball when the opportunity came. But when that opportunity came, you start to go down the rabbit hole of saying, well, maybe this could be a good thing. And then you you start to talk to your family and you pray about it and, and you end up doing something that you love. And you told me when I saw you on Sunday, you're like, I don't know if I'm going back to baseball. (laughs) It's so fun. And, and uh, you know, I, 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 I think the same, the same way, you know, and, and people ask me, do you want to coach boys? I said, well, I'm very happy and content where I'm at and I really enjoy uh, the school that I'm at. I really uh, thankful for the great administration administration that we have. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, there, there would be no other place that I want to be at this point in time. Uh, you never know what happens down the road, but I'm extremely, extremely excited to continue to be where I'm at and, um, you know, some of our most, you know, you know, John Diadi, obviously, and, yeah. uh, you know, uh, Mike Machado, they've been at our school for a very long time. And when you see a coach have that long legacy, that's something that you kind of look at and like, Hey man, maybe I can do that. And, you know, I, I always want to reevaluate situations, but um, yeah, I'm really enjoying mine. And I'm so glad that you're enjoying yours too.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, you said it and you got two, I mean, two of the best, right. With Machado and Diadi. I mean, Obviously I've coached against John numerous times and I I don't know if there's a better competitor out there, you know, between him and his staff and it shows, I mean, he's been on top of the Hill, not only at Valley Christian, but I'm saying in the baseball community in this area for a very long time, um, you know, and with Machado, it's funny because I was actually in fourth grade and I was Mike Machado's water boy when he's at Saratoga. Wow! So his mom, his mom was my math teacher and I was his water boy. And then he ended up leaving for Valley Christian. So, I mean, he's been there forever. (laughs)
1: yeah uh, that's a great
0: job you're exactly right I mean yeah you just find those places where you're content at least at the time right I think time will tell um you know we never know what tomorrow brings but at the same time it's like you're right once you get content there's nothing like it you know where you're at you show up every day and you know it's just it's a good place to be so yeah I'm happy it's great and it's, it's a whole lot of fun
1: so what was it like early in your coaching career when, you know, your fiance at the time was back in North Dakota and you come out here and, and try to chase this dream of coaching and, and things like that? What, you know, what was that time period like for you, you know, when, you know, your spouse to be is, you know, halfway across the country?
0: Well, I mean, I think it helped me kind of take my mind off when I first started just us being part for a year. We knew this going into it. Uh i was going to come back home and work the one thing i do know about coaching um is you better have a good day job (laughs) for the most part because how much you love it i mean you do got to have something else that brings in the income business um and and it really allowed the time for me to coach because that's i think that's the hardest thing and today's thing is you know, everyone's trying to make it, especially here in the Silicon Valley. And you got to have a job that's going to let you off by one or two o'clock. You're going to be able to get to the practices, the games, you know, and do that thing. And there's just not many jobs out there. So, um, you know, going back to your question, that time was hard, but I think coaching really helped speed it up. Um, It was interesting because I was young, right? I mean, I was fresh out of college. I thought I knew everything. Um, I'm going to go into this school and it's going to be easy and they're just going to listen to you and and that's it because you just got done playing college ball. I learned very quickly that necessarily wasn't it, right? I, I learned that you had to get the buy-in from an athlete. you know you had to, you had to gain the trust. And if you could do those two things, then they'll start listening, right? And uh, you know I think that was the biggest when I look back it was 16 years ago or 17 years ago now, I, I think that was the biggest challenge, you know, yet alone just being away from my wife, but even on the coaching scene, coming in here young, thinking you know everything. And you're like, oh, man, you got to figure out how to relate to these kids, you know, and all that stuff to create that buy-in. So it was definitely a huge learning curve, you know, back then.
1: Yeah, I remember early on in my coaching career, I just thought it was all about the X's and the O's Mm -hmm. and, you know, trying to scheme your way through a win and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it is the relationship piece. And that's why, you know, we try to work on that a lot more now because I just didn't do that as a young coach and that's just as important as any, any type of x's and O's or defensive schemes or you know how you, how you approach you know this sort this sort of pitcher or what or whatnot. Um, and I just think that's very paramount. So how, how did you start to gain those relationships and that trust like you mentioned?
0: Well, you know what's funny is um, when I was coaching my son when he was young, I was more of the, a hothead type coach, right? I remember getting thrown out of a Twin Creeks game on a 14U game, you know, at 8 a.m. And I honestly, it was a turning point for me in my career on the coaching side because I just didn't like the avenue I was going down. I was, I was always running red. I was always looking for what could go wrong, you know, and jumping on that thing. So I actually put myself through life, life coaching courses um, and got a, a certification in um, strategic intervention. But what that class really taught me was how to play with people, how to be a better listener, right? You don't always have to have the answer. You don't always have to be the one that's standing up there talking, 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 you know, and they're just all going to listen. You got to really understand, honestly, it totally changed the style of coaching for me, but it also taught me the most, I think, on just people every single day. And I really took that to heart, and then took it into the coaching world. You start asking kids at a young age, like, "What'd you have for dinner last night?" And it's kind of funny where that conversation can go, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, what we do at Lee is we have a question of the day every single game day, and I'll go around, and uh, you know, it'll be different every single time. But it, but it opens the door to communication, and I think that's the biggest thing. When I feel like when athletes have a place that's safe, they can come and talk to you, whether it is about the X's and O's, whether it is about bunk coverage situations or maybe even more about life, right? I I think once you could get that, um, again, it's going to help you succeed. But I'll be honest, if I didn't take that course, I'm not sure how much long I would have been around as a coach. Because like I said, getting thrown out of a 14 U game at Twin Creeks was definitely not a highlight for me, but it was a turning point for the better. So I'll never forget that day. I know the umpire's name and... (laughs) You know, but that always sticks with me because it was kind of a wake up call to me saying, hey, you, if you really want to do this, you got to change. You know, so it, it taught me a lot.
1: Yeah, that's uh, I mean, those moments you never you never can really live down. Uh, <laughs> and and I definitely had those early on as well in my coaching career. And, you know, you're you're a, you're a product of what you see a lot, you know, so uh, as a parent. A lot of times your kids follow things that you might not even know you do. Like there are certain mannerisms that Maddie or I do, and the kids follow that and uh, the same goes for coaching. And so, you know, you, when you first started out, you don't know anything. You're just really trying (laughs) to figure out how you're going to put together this. And you think it's going to be a lot easier. It's so much harder, especially once you get done playing, because you just have all these ideas about things that you're going to want to do. And I I even still have it to this day where it's like, Oh, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. And then you get to practice like, wow, we got to really slow it down. We can't do any of this stuff. And uh, the same thing that kind of happened to you was like a welcome to Jesus moment where mm-hmm. I was just on this kid. This I was coaching JV basketball at the time. And I think this is 2007. And um, I just went in on this kid. This kid had, you know, he didn't deserve any of this. And uh, Giles was my assistant coach at the time. And he said, Chris, you know, after he let me, he kind of he let me talk. But he's like, Chris, that's not you. And uh, he didn't deserve that. I'm like wow so if your best friend can really challenge you to say hey man this isn't you um, well what and that got me to thinking well what is me what is my coaching style because how we grew up is is different than, than how I was supposed to be coaching in the mid2000s and definitely has changed now and so the approach is is more three-dimensional. Um, I read 3d coaching. Which was, you know, not just the physical part. It wasn't just the mental part. It was a relational part. And then, you know, the spiritual part as well. That was one thing that when I was at Valley Christian early on, um, Jolene Fugate, who is the now the uh, commissioner of the WCAL, she, you know, said, Hey guys, you guys should read this book. And so ever since then, I never wanted to be just a transactional coach. I wanted to be a transformational coach. And in order to be a transformational coach, you have to have the three depths of coaching and it just can't be the physical. So that was one thing that really stuck out to me was like, Hey, how are you going to do this? And for those that are listening, young coaches or even old coaches, you can always learn from somebody else. And also if you see something that's you know, not right, speak up about it. You sure. know, if if, uh, if you're an assistant coach and your head coach is, is doing something that you don't feel is right, and not talking about X's and O's because we're going to differ on that sort of stuff. You know, um, your bunk coverage might be different than Nate's bunk coverage or Diati's bunk coverage. It changes. So, and there's many different ways to go about that. But as far as the interpersonal, if you are, you know, degrading somebody to the point where you know, they don't deserve it. You know, you, somebody has to speak up. And on top of that, honestly, I saw him several years back at a Juice. I've told this story on the podcast before, but I looked at him and he looked at me and it was just an unspoken thing. We both, you know, spoke to each other, but he knew and I both knew that moment. And so um If I could go back, I would have just said, hey, man, if if there was anything that I did when I was coaching you, I apologize. Uh, That would be what I would say to him. But I was still too young to even, you know, swallow my pride enough to tell that young man, hey, I messed up. But he knew and I knew. And uh, if I ever saw him again and maybe he listens, he knows who he is. uh, You know, I'll forever remember that. And that was that was kind of the same thing that you kind of went through.
0: Yeah, and I think you—I mean—I think you hit so many great points right there. You talk about reading, and I think so many times, as coaches, you know, we're we're not vulnerable enough. Meaning, you know, we always got the best idea, and I think our way that we run practice is the best. And it's like, yeah, you, you know, you got to learn from others. That's why this podcast is so—I mean, it's so cool that you're doing it and doing it consistently. Because you look at the guests, and it's like, yeah, I might not be a basketball coach, you know what? The things that you talk about, the back and forth on. It, you can take, right. You can take those, but you have to be open to learning. And I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, you said reading the book, you know, I mean, wanting to put yourself out there, wanting to be better. Right. I mean, that's, that took me a while, you know, because I always thought I just, you know, I haven't figured out, I know this. And then as maturity comes in, I'm like, dang, I don't know this, you know, and, you know, I think, I don't know if you just hit a certain age or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden you're trying to learn from everybody. And, you know, it's cool, but I do think, you know, at times we gotta be more vulnerable and honest with ourselves for just to speak up to you and say, Hey, this is you I mean, talk about a bold moment, right? I mean, your best friend that uh, you got his back on everything he's doing and he has a conversation. That could have went sideways, right? I mean, that could went somewhere like, well, if you don't like to, you know, get off my staff. But it's cool that you can see with the relationship and the friendship you guys have, you listen to it, you know, you listen to it and then you grow from it. And I think those are the experiences, right. That, I mean, every single year you're growing from something, you, you know, or you're yeah. learning something. So I just think at times we all got to be a little more vulnerable and honest with ourselves and say, you know, maybe we can learn something from over here or a different team or a different competitor, you know, that you play against. So. For sure. Yeah. That's awesome. one, of
1: the, one of the things that uh, Sam always says, Sam Perro, he's a, either you're growing or you're dying. There's no in between. And, and that is very true. And, um, <clears throat> You know, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. I had something to to touch on as far as uh, what you just said, but um, I let forgot. me ask you this real yeah. quick before yeah, we no. get
0: off this topic: How did you respond when Giles said that to you in the moment?
1: Oh, that was what I was going to say. Yeah, so you you hit it. Um, I think I just took it with you know grace. Like what mm. he was right at the end of the day. I could get mad, so it's just like um, you know if you're if you're a pundit on TV and I'm, and you're, and I'm an athlete and you say that, you know, I went, I went one for 12 in the series and, you know, I, I couldn't hit and I, I had four errors in the field and I could get mad at you, but at the end of the day, was it true? And at the end of the day, it was true that that kid did not deserve that at that time or period. And so when you just take away, you know, your ego in, in regards to the situation, I think that is what allowed me. And I, I trusted him like I've, I had known him for yeah. since high school. We were best friends and it wasn't it wasn't somebody that I didn't trust. And uh, yeah. and even with parents to this day, and this was the point that I was going to make. I just listened to him now. I didn't ever want to talk to him early on, but I will have the conversation now. And most of the time I just want to listen. Okay. Tell me, tell me what you think. It usually boils down to playing time as you know, as a head coach. <laughs> right. but was there any truth to whatever it is that they said? And if, and if I can take my ego, like you mentioned out of the scenario, then mm-hmm. I can I can now look at it from okay this is a this is just an open honest conversation and that little thing that you said okay I actually do agree with you there's All I right. mean I have been on walks with parents for a couple mile walk and <laughs> just, I just listen mostly okay tell me about your your daughter's experience great okay these are some nuggets now I also asked one of them what would you do differently and they didn't have an answer for me. There's no answer. So uh, so I took uh, I took some solace knowing the fact that um, they didn't have an answer either. Right. But, uh, yeah, I just think that the vulnerability, like you mentioned, and just the selflessness that you have to have in a situation like that, um, I think that gets you over the hump when it comes to that. If we just all release some of the ego that we have or most of the ego that we have, a lot of situations could be resolved.
0: Right. Can I agree more?
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, from St. Lawrence, you go to Saratoga after, uh, you know, how many years were you at St. Lawrence and then what was the transition to Saratoga?
0: Yeah, I was actually at St. Lawrence for one full season and then we were starting the second season and it was literally, uh, probably two or three days before Saratoga's first game. Uh, they needed a JV coach and it's, it's the high school I went to. Um, it was an opportunity to be a head coach. That's where I wanted to be. Um, Coach Bose did a phenomenal job at St. Lawrence. He he didn't have any restrictions on me. He let me run the offense. So I felt like, you know, I I was happy there. I just know I wanted to be a head coach. And then at the time we were living in Saratoga. So I'm like, you know, it's my alma mater. I got to go back. Um, So I got the job. I brought Nate with me. And the funny story is, I was actually going to be gone for the first game already, it's already planned out. Um, so I made it, but I missed the first, like two practices. So the first time I met the team was at a game, you know, so trying to write a lineup and you don't know the names, you don't know your personnel, Nate's had them for like one practice. Uh, I'll be honest. That was tough. And, uh, oh, yeah. it was funny. Nate and I, there was this one player, and uh, Nate and I were debating and, uh, it was either him or me. We were like, he's a second baseman. And the other one was like, no, nah, he's not a second baseman. He's like, yeah, I think he is. Okay, we put him at second base. He had five airs. And we're like, he's not a second baseman. He ended up being our center fielder. Uh, you know, Sarah Tech was only really there as a baby coach one year. and Then the Los Gatos thing opened up. Um, you know, and we're like, hey, look, this is a really good program. Um, let's just throw our name in it. So Nate and I actually went in there and applied together. We said, you're be the two of us if you get us. Uh, we sat in the interview both at the same time. And um, ended up getting to Mike DeNevi, but they wanted to bridge the gap and bring us in. And again, I, I at that time I felt like it was an opportunity to be at one of the more elite type schools. Um, so we went in there as the assistant coaches and uh, had a great year. Lost in I don't know Division Two of the Open uh, to Leland. And after that is when I stepped out because again we had Madison and she was born with a heart issue and. I was leaving all the time to go to the ER and back and forth. And I was like, you know what? I got to step back. It's more a and then you know, next thing you know, the Red Sox called. And I was like, this is this is interesting. You know, so uh, I said, I was never good enough to make the big leagues. It's the closest thing I'll do to working with the team. So, again, I jumped into that journey for two years. And, uh, again, it was awesome. It was, a, it was a lot of fun. So I was only at each of those for a year each and then jumped into Los Gatos and then you know, got out of it because of family issues.
1: Sure. And is that when you were a, a scout for the Red Sox, is that where you met Kevin?
0: No, it's funny is that, you know, Euclid and I have a really close relationship. Um, we actually do a nonprofit together, but uh, I met Kevin. I think I was Nate's assistant at Los Gatos. He moved here to the Bay Area. He didn't know anyone. He was new. And his strength coach and I were really good buddies. Mike Patenzo is now with the Warriors, um, but he was with the Sharks for 15 years. So he actually called me up and he's like, uh, hey, you want to work out Euclid? And I was like, yeah. Like, so, you know, right away I'm like, okay, where does he live? I knew all the coaches in the area. And he's like, well, he's over in this area. Um, so I called up Rick Weans and we went over to West Valley and, um, you know, we just started training there and, you know, we really connected. Um, and we kept a friendship, and then when he was done, you know, I own a pool servicing company. I took over his house, and then all of a sudden, you know, he started having kids, and uh, you know, now he's doing the journey like us with young kids and young sports and and all this stuff. So that's where Kevin and I met. I didn't know him when I was with the Red Sox. Quite honestly, I didn't even told him this story. My dad took me to Fenway, um, and he was my favorite player. I bought his jersey shirt. He was a third baseman. I was a third baseman. He played gritty. I played gritty. Next day, I know, he's getting out of his Tahoe, and I'm working him out. And it was kind of funny because I'm like, what's this guy really going to listen to me for? You know, here's a pool guy. I'm changing my clothes in the porta potty <laughs> at West Valley, you know, getting off work to go train him and stuff. But, you know, at that point, I really realized here's a two-time World Series champ, an all-star. They're just normal people, man. I mean, he talked to pros all the time. It's cool. You just have those conversations, those dad conversations. And then, like anyone else, you just connect, right? You, you develop this friendship, and it was fun to watch him play. Um, when he came here to Oakland and then, you know, he had a back issue and then he went to Japan, um, you know, and then, then his season was over, but you know, we stayed really close. And uh, to this day, we talk all the time. We actually just talked yesterday and he was at the Savannah bananas throwing out the first pitch and, and all that stuff. So yeah, Kev's Kev's a really good guy doing well with his brewery, um, broadcasting a lot with the Red Sox. So he's busy.
1: Does he own Loma?
0: Yeah. Yeah. He owns Loma and he's opening up a a big beer garden out in uh, Manteca coming up so
1: and all that happened based on relationships that you had prior to that and you know one of the the things that I do admire about you is your relationships are really good and we haven't talked in a long time but every time we do talk we have a very high level conversation and I take away something every time we talk and so you should feel you should have felt confident I'm sure you did that you know if you're doing baseball somebody's mm-hmm. going to listen to you because you actually put the work in. You're a student of the game and you're very, very good with, you know, your uh, communications style and uh, and you can articulate things in a way that makes sense. So, you know, if there's, if there's anything that I really appreciate about you as status, the relationship piece and those that are listening to this, the relationships are going to get you in the door. They can also keep you out of doors. And the more, the more, uh, And you don't want anything either. There's nothing, there's no ulterior motives. You're trying to provide value in all the situations that you have. And because you provided value, that opens up more opportunities for you. So why don't you speak to that and, you know, kind of your experience on how you've been able to cultivate these relationships, which end up really working out for you in the long run. And then also like a two-parter, but the selflessness that both you and Nate have, you know, he was your assistant. You were his assistant. He was your assistant. You were his assistant. And you guys kind of did that for a number of years. Um, You know, basically touch on those two things, the relationship piece, and then just the selflessness that you have for serving others.
0: Yeah, sure. No, well, I had a great coach in junior college and, you know, you learn so much from coaches you didn't necessarily like, and you learn a lot from coaches that you like. And Uh, Coach Doug Robb at San Jose City is a mentor of mine. He's a, he's a close friend of mine still to this day. Um, the one thing I left San Jose City with and coach Rob always, always would tell us never burn a bridge. And it was something I, I really listened to, um, coach Rob and I again, have conversations all the time. And he says, especially in the coaching world. And, you know, he's like, you know, Justin, one day I could see you as a coach. He goes, you just, You don't want to get, it's such a small community, right? And you just don't want to burn bridges. And like you said, the door could either open for you or it can close for you. And it's something that I've really prided myself on, um, of really connecting with people, really of all sports, to be quite honest. Baseball tends to be my niche. Um, You know, and just when I was with the Red Sox and stuff like that, instead of just scouting, I was getting to meet coaches, right? Getting their information. And then I'll follow up with them. And I try to follow up every week with a handful of coaches, you know, across the country. Um, and really it's always in the back of my mind, never burn a bridge. It's, if you have an athlete, you think's good enough, right? Your job as a coach, in my opinion, is to pick up the phone and say, Hey, look, I think I have somebody worth your time to see. And if they say, you know, in baseball, well, we only need a right hand or pitcher. Okay. I don't have that. A lot of people will say, Oh, well, you know, you don't trust me or, really, you should see this guy. And it's like, instead of that, it's like, okay, it's just not a need for that spot. Right. And, um, I never really got defensive when people weren't interested in the players you had, or, you know, if people don't necessarily have time, but I will continue to connect. I'll continue to send text messages. I'll continue to follow up. Um, because at the end of the day, it's again, we're all just trying to help each other. Right. I mean, if you have a player that's good enough, you make a phone call that college, in my opinion, Honors that they don't have to do the scouting. They have somebody reaching out to them. All they got to do is either watch the video or if they're close enough, they can come out. And, you know, it's just something Doug Rob's always taught me never to burn a bridge. I really try to live my life that way. Um, you know, you're not always perfect and sometimes people don't always get your perspective of things. Um, so, you know, you can't help that, but again, coach Rob, I mean, that's just something. And again, to this day at Los gattis I brought him on staff with me. Um, you know, which is so cool. He's been out of coaching, I think at that time, 12 or 13 years. And he got back in with us and to sit there in the dugout with one of your mentors was, was so cool. So, I mean, I've, I've given him a lot of credit for really teaching me that um, when it comes to Nate, you're right. He's been my assistant. I've been his assistant. Um, you know, he's been a head coach. If we go back to the years longer than I have, and I was more of his assistant, but I think you said it's, it, it's just, we want to make kids better. We want to make baseball better. And I don't think it's something where our egos ever get in the way. If we're on the field, for example, he's ahead head of our camps. Um, that's his floor, but I'm there to help him and assist him and support him. And when he rose to one side of the field, I'm on the other side of the field, just making sure everything's going, but him and I have had that best friend type friendship for a long time. Um, you know, that comes with back and forth. We've had arguments at times or disagreements know, but again, we get down to what's just going to make this situation better. And I think if you have that, you can have those open line of communications. You don't run into like the ego thing. Well, if I get if we get this job, I'm the head guy. That's never really mattered to both of us. You know, when under his wing, I was I was the hitting coach. He let me run the offense. He never told me what to do. When it was our offensive side of practice, he gave me the floor for that. You know, and I and I really respect that. I learned a ton from Nate Anderson. I've learned a ton from him. And then when I took over you know, Las Gatos, he was there for five years. You know, I was picking his brain on certain things because as you know, you take over these jobs and you think it's just going to be coaching the sport you love. No, there's a whole lot more to it. We had 108 kids trying out every year. That's a lot of families. That's a lot of egos. Um, so you really got to, it's really like managing a business, right? So, um, you know, I give Nate a ton of credit um, on the coaching side. I think he's one of the best brains in this area when it comes to the baseball side of things. Again, he's a student of the game. He's constantly learning. He's asking me a ton of questions. I ask him a lot of questions. And I think that's what leads to our friendship on the field and not necessarily, you know, that ego of who's going to be the head guy, you know, who gets to do the interview with the paper or whatnot. I mean, none of that's just really mattered for him and I.
1: Right. Because at the end of the day, like you said, you just want to help kids. And if that is the goal, does it matter who gets the quote unquote glory? No. (laughs) Because even on the championship teams, and you know this the championship Mm. teams, those assistant coaches are paramount. They may not, Mm -hmm. it may not say, uh, it may not say your assistant's name. Mm-hmm. Per se, but everybody that's in there knows how much value they actually brought to the table, and right. uh, I think that is something that is that needs to be said more. Um, right. it's not, and I like for me, if you trust somebody enough, you give them the offense. Like my current assistant now, he runs all of the offense. Well, what was mm-hmm. I really good at with drawing up plays and putting people in situations and getting our best player shots? Well, he's just as good, if not better. So I might as well give them the platform and it just, it works just like business. When I started delegating and giving people autonomy, you know, making somebody the camp director or making somebody the, you know, uh, vice president or something like that. Now they have autonomy. They got skin in the game and now they have equity and they want the program to be better. If you just go to practice as an assistant coach, which I've done before. And you just sit there and you're just there and you kind of, you know, BS with the players every now and again. And uh, coach asks you, what do you think or what am I really doing? So give somebody the autonomy if they're skilled enough, gifted enough and talented enough to do that. Why do we need to have control of everything? And and the longer that I do it, the less control I want to have. And the more, more I want to actually just manage. If you can just manage, if you got a good process in place, Whatever sport, whatever business you have going on, I think that is, uh, I think that has made me so much more efficient. Um, even in, in my marriage, what are the things that we can split up? Okay. I'm going to do this, this and this, and she's going to do this, this and this. And then we try to get our kids to come along and they do this, this and this. And then, you know, you got a system and, and systems, real good systems work bad systems. They don't work. But if you got a good system, um, you can, it can really, really work for you and uh and speaking of like a business you talked about owning a pool company uh, how you know talk about that business how you've been able to basically you know cross this with your with coaching baseball and things like that because it is hard you have to have a job that you get get off at one but i also do know that it was very difficult for you for a lot of a lot of years same with nate waking up at 4 a.m getting out there you know, so you can be done by one and then go coach for three hours and then you come home and you got to be a husband and a dad. So (laughs) talk about the business side of things real quick, uh, Mm -hmm. as well as, you know, how to, how to balance those two things. Cause I don't think things are ever balanced. One's going to always get more than the other. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think there is kind of an even scale there.
0: Yeah, no, I think, you know, I've, um, you know, I was lucky enough out of college. for my dad to offer me to buy into the family business. And to be quite honest, I always wanted to be a police officer. You know, I didn't necessarily want to own a pool company. Um, but then I understood I really wanted to coach and the flexibility that it gave me, as long as you can get your work done, you can go do the things that you like. Right. And I think being a business owner, a small business owner, um, you have the ability to create different types of freedom for yourself, right? It doesn't mean that, everyone else does the work. You walk around and just make the money and that's it. That's that's not it at all. You know, you touched on many years of waking up at four in the morning and that's doing the bookkeeping and replying to emails and stuff. But I I also think running a business really taught me a lot about coaching because you're dealing with people, right? I mean, we have roughly 200 residential houses we do a week. I mean, that's a lot of married couples you're dealing with. Um, It's a lot of egos you deal with. Um, it's a lot of different personalities you deal with, but then you get to the coaching side of thing, you're going to deal with different egos, different personalities. How can you connect? Right. So there's a lot of similarity on the aspect of running a pool business and coaching because you got to learn how to adapt. And I think being able to adapt makes you a better business owner and makes you a better coach. And, um, you know, so I really use that as a challenge of saying, okay, you know, I understand this person's a CEO of this huge company and he's really tough you know, and that's how he's been successful, you know, and I, I started looking at it as a game, right. I knew this guy was going to put up, a, you know, a challenge for me. Um, but again, I, I went back to the life coaching courses I took and how to connect and how to listen, um, you know, and restate the question to somebody. And then you created this relationship. What's crazy now is a lot of our pool customers help support our nonprofit. Um, I've coached now a ton of their kids. Right, which which is good and bad, right? Because there's that side you're going to see them every week. Maybe their kids not necessarily playing, you know. So <laughs> there is some of that awkwardness still that exists. But I really think running a business and then coaching there, there's a ton of similarities, you know. And I think that's the part um, that's before, really
1: helpful. Before you continue, because I want you to continue your comment, but I don't want to forget. Yeah. How, how do you deal with that when you are have a relationship <laughs> with somebody prior to? So even as you have it now with, uh, I'm sure, you know, a lot of the kids on your daughter uh, on your team that have Mm -hmm. grown up with your daughter or vice versa. You coached their son when you were at Los Gatos and you also did their pool. How did you do that? How did you manage that? Because, uh, most of the time, you know, well, from my, my vantage point, I know the kids before they get and the families before they come up to the high school. So this is a selfish question here.
0: No, uh, you give them a free month pool service and ask for grace. No, you am just kidding. <laughs> um, you know, I tell our team this every single year. Honesty comes with really good conversations and difficult conversations. And honestly, uh, I think if you're open, you're transparent, you're honest. Um, for the most part, parents can see that. You know how much all of us as parents. I got four kids myself. We all think our kids are the best. You know, we love our kids. We do everything that parents should do. If you go out to a field. Right. You could say, like, you know, I, I love my kid, but that kid's a division one player. You know, that's that kid's this. And then you have the hard conversations of saying, like, you know, hey, what's it going to take? In the back of my mind, this business feeds my family. Right. So you start worrying, am I going to lose this customer or whatnot? I've always just gone strictly to the honesty, you know, to be upfront, to be honest, um, give them some nuggets on, you know, how they could push their way into the lineup or whatnot. It hasn't always been easy. But I'll be honest, I I have not yet to lose, knock on wood, a pool customer because of it. Um, But I do always feel honesty does come with two different sides, really good and and tough conversations. And I think that on the playing field, when you have that communication with your team, we have preseason meetings. Once they make the team, we have one-on-one meetings. Once we go to CCS, we have a meeting there. And what's really important about those meetings, again, is honesty, is this is where we see you helping us. Um, then it gives the platform to the athlete, you know, to say, well, this is what I feel. And then you can have that open line of communication at the end of the day, at least the athlete, in my opinion, knows where you stand in the coaching staff. Right. And then we know where they stand. So I, I think honestly, again, I keep saying it is just being open with people, having that communication. And for the most part, parents, I think there's a lot that don't want to see it. I think for the most part, they do see it, especially at the varsity level, right? Maybe the JV level is different. And, I look do, you, at
1: and do you have the parents and, uh, in the meeting as well?
0: No, I do not. Okay. I, I only have the athlete in there and I have an assistant always with me. That way, you know, we're on the same level. There's nothing being said that's not being said. Sure. Um, how, I, how I deal with parents, uh, <laughs> maybe it's a nugget, maybe it's not. Um, I always have a family meeting. And I always you talked about playing time earlier on this podcast. You know, I'll say if, if the parents want to get involved in a meeting, we'll do it, but we'll have the AD in the room and it's going to be on the AD's time. And I think what that does is is the issue really that serious that we're talking about. You know, If a parent wants to meet then in 17 years, I've had one meeting so far. Um, that ended great. Honestly, it ended better um, for the athlete. But I think once you kind of put it at that level, once the parent wants to get involved, I said, that's fine. I'm going to bring my boss into the room also. So we're all on the same page. I think they start weeding out what's a serious topic and what's not, you know, and again, you said playing time and I I don't care what coach you talk to, doesn't matter, football, basketball, swimming, field hockey, it's always about playing time, right? (laughs) So, um, you know, again, I think just being open with the athlete and again, open with a customer, if you're running a business really goes a long way, whether they like it or not, they usually will sit back, digest it, you know, and then go with it. That's the experience I've had so far.
1: Yeah. Uh to touch on that um what we did last year, we've never done it before, but we had right after the preseason getting ready for league season, we mm-hmm. hit, met with everybody. We met with the players and the parents and all of the coaches. Oh. So we all got in a room and we basically said, "Parents, if there's anything that you guys want to chat about, let's bring it out there." And just um, and most of them didn't have anything. But it was just like a, a olive branch to say, hey, you know, if there's anything that you want to bring up, let's just bring it up now because you've seen, you know, 12 games of the preseason already. We have 12 more games. So this is kind of the role that we see. And so once they talk, we ask the player if they had anything. And then we go into our deal and each one of the coaches did. now this took about a half hour to 45 minutes. One even took an hour. Mm-hmm. but the first things we start doing and if you ever told if you start if you start a conversation by praising my child you have mm-hmm. already won me over and most of the most of these, most of these kids are great fantastic kids so right. why don't why don't we tell the parents this mm-hmm. in a meeting where they can hear it because most of the time they only see me going like this and yelling <laughs> at, yelling at them and screaming at them because they're not doing the right thing But now there is no competition involved. We are just sitting here having a conversation. Hey, I think your son or daughter is fantastic. Uh, They've got some really great attributes. These are are those things. And we just Mm kind of hit all those things. Assistant coach one, assistant coach two. And we talk about that. Now we're going to talk about what the role is. This is where we see him. Okay, you're a sophomore on varsity right now. Now, we don't have a whole lot of playing time for you. I've got 160 minutes in this game. And mm-hmm. right now, you're seven, eight, or nine. Okay, in this season, our top players are going to play 28 minutes a game. All right, so that means in their spot, there's only five minutes available for mm-hmm. both of them. This is kind of how this is breaking down. Sure. You're number eight. You're not taking any of their minutes, six and seven probably are. And here's kind of how it goes. So you can look at about maybe six minutes a game, if that. So we're just having an honest conversation. This is where we see it at. And, uh, you know, we had one kid said, well, maybe I should go down to JV. And I was like, (laughs) okay, well, we hadn't thought about that either. And, uh, you know, that might be something, but it just kind of broke up. But I like your way too. I don't even know if my way is great. I might change it this year. I have no clue. But just uh, just hearing the different ways that people handle those sort of situations, I think, is important. And this is like this podcast is very, very selfish. I'm getting so I'm getting the I'm getting the best of you. I get the best of every <laughs> one of the guests, and uh, I just take these little nuggets. And the, the thing that you talked about um, having conversations: there's going to be a good part. And there's going to be a bad part. The, mm-hmm. the the good part is we can move past whatever it is, but the hard, we might have to have a hard conversation. I'm stealing that too, so that's how <laughs> we handled it. And uh, yeah, so then it went well. It went it went great. We had no parent issues this year, awesome. uh, and we don't have a whole lot. But I think in every team there's going to be at mm-hmm. least one or two. Yeah, there's going to be at least one or two. And this year we had no parent issues that I know of, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that have been brought to my attention. So yeah, I thought it went great and uh, we might do it again. It just depends. I think you got to temper it with, with, with your team and depending on who you have and their relationships. So.
0: Well, I think you're right. What you said right there, you got to, each year is different, right? I mean, you know, that you've done this forever. It's especially in high school. I mean, even in college, right? You look at college basketball guys are, you know, got Calipari's losing eight guys after their freshman year. And, You got to be able to adapt to who you have, right? The personnel that you have. And like you said, the families that you have, you know, so like what you mentioned, having everybody in a room to have that conversation, maybe this next coming year, you're like, yeah, maybe this won't go so well, you know, so you got to change. But I mean, that's a, it's a great point that you said. It just depends on, you know, that year and who you have. And quite honestly, the families that come with it.
1: Yeah. Every year changes. You just try to adapt and evolve with it. And sometimes, first of all, I don't want to be right. I just want to get it right. I don't have right. to, uh, early on in my career, I'm probably, you could say the same thing for yourself. I just wanted to yeah. be right all the time. But yeah. now I don't care. Like as yeah. as long as everybody is on the same page and we're just honest and transparent with one another. Uh, and every, if they know your heart too, I think having them know our heart as a staff towards their child really went a long way. So we'll see how it goes and I'll let you know if we do it this year prior to your senior yeah. Um So uh, being a head coach, what's the, what's the biggest difference between a head coach and assistant coach?
0: Well, you get to live with the decisions you make, right? And those come on you. They don't come on the assistants for the most part. Um, you know, I think it's that, I think obviously dealing with administration, dealing with off the field issues, Um, everything that comes with being a coach, it now comes to you. Um, I felt like as an assistant, I could just get in the cage. I could just go work with the guys and, you know, whoever I was assisting, whether it was Corby McLaughlin at um, Bismarck State College or Nate Anderson at Las Gatas, you know, they had to deal with everything else where I could just show up, get into our locker room, change and go to the cage and start working with guys. I think that's the biggest difference. Um, I think depending on what size program you're at, um, you know, I've had two op- opposite ends here in the last two years, when you're at Las Gatos is again, 108 kids, you have 10 coaches, you have three teams. That's a lot of things, like you said, to get right, right. You got to make sure. And if something goes wrong on the freshman team, well, guess what? They're coming to talk to you. If something goes wrong on the JV team, they're coming to talk to you. Same with varsity, you know? So dealing with all of that, there's times I showed up and then you're like, man, now we got to practice. <laughs> you had to deal with all this stuff. You know, and these emails, they come in at 7 a.m. And, you know, so it's you're constantly on, whereas an assistant, I feel like whatever the head coach wants you to be in charge of, you can show up, you can pour your energy learning throughout the day or whatever, and then go apply that to the team, you know, and as a head coach, everything's coming through you, Um, you know, so I think that's, I think that's the biggest piece. Now coming to Lee, they finished the year before I got there with 10 girls, they were four and 20 four and 20 or four and 21. Um, so it was totally different. Los Gatos has always been more on the elite side of the public schools. So when I took over, it was like, man, we got to keep this going. When we came to Lee, it's like, man, we got to create buy-in, right? So we had coaches meetings and I'm like, you know, th- again, two different ends here. I right? said, so we got to go in there and have these girls believe they're capable, right? And we got it. We're building now from the ground up where I feel like when I took over Las Gatos, you know, guys like Brad Filippo. Mike Denevi, Bobby Hill, Nate Anderson, they kept it up there. Right. So there was a different type of pressure is you got to go in there. You got to compete with the audience at Valley Christian. You got to compete with Yaki at Mitty, you know, all these different great coaches, you you know, that have great talent. And then when I came over to Lee, it was more like, Oh boy, we got to build this thing and we got to build this thing quickly. You know? So again, it brought a different challenge, um, you know, to the table. So I think, but, going back to it, I just think you got to deal with everything as a head coach, right? Everything comes through you, which I wouldn't want any different because if something's going to be said or something's a decision's going to be made and you weren't part of it, that's really hard to answer, you know, when it comes to it. So, um, I would just say, taking on the load of everything as opposed to an assistant, you know, what, you know, like you said, if your assistants in charge of offense, well, he could spend all days drawing up plays, right. And doing those things where you might be dealing with off the field issues or off the court issues, or you know whatever comes with it administration stuff going to all the all league meetings going to all the preseason meetings you know right. so i think i just think the workload gets a little bigger um but i like it i think if i had to choose i'd definitely stay as a head coach
1: for sure uh talk about your transition from coaching boys baseball to girls softball and two-parter how is it coaching your daughter as well
0: yeah yeah so uh first coaching boys um and girls, it's it's two different things, right? Boys, you can kind of, in my opinion, maybe get on a little more. Um, you know, you just coach differently. It's a different style. Um, girls, in my opinion, are a lot more mature and responsible, but they're a lot more emotional at the same time, right? So I well, mean, there's well different put. things. <laughs> so there's there's just things that you learn throughout the course of the year. That um, you know, I had a couple moments that my assistants were at Los Gatos, I would have really revved up and you know, not necessarily yell at people. I'm not really a guy that's going to yell at an individual, but I'll address a situation vocally, you know, if we continue to get it wrong, where um, I think with girls, I do more of the sandwich approach, you know, but I've had a couple moments this year. Where I kind of jumped up. I'm like, Nope, Nope, Nope. You know, and you gotta, and you gotta teach, but um, you know, I, I really enjoy coaching girls. When I told you this on Sunday, when we got to start at three 30, I don't have to worry about them starting at three 30. They just do it. Yeah. Um, you know, when we go to field prep, it's just done. They know their assignments. It's done quickly. It's done efficiently. Um, you know, so those things kind of take care of itself. Um, but again, you know, it is they are more emotional at times, but they have a lot of fun, man. One of the coolest things I tell this all the time that people laugh is, you know, when I would pull somebody at Los Gatos, let's say this wasn't the right situation for them to hit in and I'd pull them. I mean, I'm getting a snake eye for about a week. Right. right. I'm getting stared down in my office when I pull a girl. I mean, they got handshakes you know, they're cheering on each other. And it's and it's really cool because I think we always preach, at least in baseball, you want to have a short term memory. And I really realized going to softball, I did not have a short term memory. Right. And I think the girls really taught me what that is. Um, so for that, I'm extremely grateful for. Um, for your second question, coaching your daughter, you know, we had to sit down and talk, you know, and I said, there's so many things about daddy ball that you hear out there now and and this and that. And I think the difference is I've done this 16 years prior. Right. So I I do feel like for the most part, um, I'm always learning, but running a program and different things like that you've done. Um, But at the same time, you know, we had a situation this year that she necessarily didn't get in a game and she went home with mom and mom's like, you better be ready to address this one, um, you know, at home. And, it was tough. Uh, sometimes dinners are tough, you know. But uh, she did a really good job. I'll be honest. Um, I think it's always in back of your mind, like, "Hey, are you just going to play your kid?" Let you know. You know, parents are waiting for it. Um, but she did a phenomenal job. I think for the first, I don't know, few weeks, I was convinced they didn't even know I was her dad. But I get with social media and everything they do. Um, but you know, there's boundaries, and we talked about that at home. There's boundaries. When I'm on the field, I'm your coach, right? And I know, you know, all my assistants from Las Gatos and they're kind of they've been around you and all that stuff. But she did a phenomenal job, man. And uh, I think the whole team did. I, I, I think they see I, I don't necessarily play favorites. We're going to play the best at the varsity level to win the game. Um, you know, my my daughter did a phenomenal job this year, getting second team all league as a freshman, um, all our freshmen. We started four freshmen. I mean, they just the girls really played extremely well. But there was some conversation and there's some hard conversation. And, you know, I I don't know if it's my daughter or my wife. (laughs) I I get more afraid of when I come home. Um, But you just go back to all those years of experience and knowing what's best for the team in that situation. Um, And like any parent, right, not everyone is going to understand that, you know. But I think as coaches, we have the platform of being around these athletes every single day. For a lot of these right? parents, we're seeing their kids more than they're seeing them. I mean, right. you look at it, they get up, leave at 730 to go to school, come practice, get home at seven, do some homework, boom, go to bed, you know, so we're around them more. So I think, again, it goes back to those conversations on the field with athletes. I try to roam the field during stretching and talk to each girl, um, each athlete, depending on what team I'm coaching, um, you know, but I think at times I was more afraid of coming home to my wife, you know, and dealing with those type of questions um, just because, again, it's, it's emotional, right? You want your kid to succeed. You want your kid to have that chance. And the hard part at Lee is we don't have a JV program. We just have a varsity program. So you have a learning curve of this, 18-year-olds playing with 14-year-olds, right? Mm. Grown women playing with 14-year-olds. So the the learning curve was so big, right? I mean, four years of experience, that's a big deal. Sure is. You know, it's a a big deal. So that was was another challenge going into it. My daughter's a freshman. So you're like, oh, man, I'm not sure how much playing time you're going to get. You know, but she really took it to heart. She works. She works on her own. Um, I always have a saying you're rewarded in public for what you do in private and she'll be hitting in the backyard or, you know, bug me to go down to the cage. Um, So she really put in the time, which is cool, the whole team did. And I think that's why they had their success this year that they had. Um, But again, coaching your daughter at a high school varsity level, there's challenges. But again, I think I'm afraid of my wife more than I am my daughter.
1: Well, you got you got some gems. Yeah, you know what, what you do and, what you do in private will be rewarded in public. I'm stealing that one too. I'm sure. You, I'm sure you took that. For, the first time I take somebody's thought or quote, I give them credit. After that, I, I just keep it. I'm just keeping it. Um, oh yeah,
0: keep it, man. I learned well, that from somebody. So
1: there's a well. I mean, you said a lot uh, as far as. Um, and just my mind just starts turning because, uh, I, I, you know, I'm not too far rem- away from that potentially happening and mm-hmm. or with either CJ or Maxine, you know, being their coach. And I do coach, you know, the little baseball and I'll coach his little basketball and stuff like that. But it's just different when you get to high school uh, And so I'm just mentally taking notes. And there's been other coaches on this platform that have coached their kids. And I think what you said earlier was there's going to be some coaches that you didn't like Mm -hmm. that taught you something. Or there's going to be coaches that you did like and they taught you something. And I think that's going to be the same thing that goes for your situation with coaching your own child is Mm -hmm. there's going to be some things that she doesn't like. Mm-hmm. Whether whether she knows it or not, or whether she'll tell you or not, there's mm-hmm. definitely gonna be some things. There are some things that I didn't like as a child, but mm-hmm. have made me the strongest, the stronger person that I am today, to this day. Sure. But when I look back on it, my mom was always right. She was mm-hmm. always right, or mostly right in almost every scenario that I can look back on. And I think that Maddie's going to look do the same thing for you, you know, when you guys look back on this 10 years removed. She may not understand all the things that you were doing at that time. She may not understand that she wasn't in this game for, you know, whatever reason, but she'll look back on it and be like, okay, I understand. I can, I can say that. I just had Eric Ostrowski on. Uh, okay. Who was who was who was our assistant coach at the time at mm-hmm. Del Mar when when we were playing and he was assistant Brad Quinet and there were some things that I didn't agree with those guys about but I look back and say okay I understand now and well, I don't I don't have to agree with it but I can have some understanding and say okay you guys are doing what you guys thought was the best thing at that very moment. And even O told me, you know, he he's like, I, I look back on the, I wish I would have, we would have did some things differently. And he was, you know, honest and transparent. And, and I talked to him and we actually sat down with that whole staff. Just, we were out, you know, having, having, um, dinner somewhere and we saw them and we just hung out with our old staff and we just talked and, and we talked about how some stupid things that we did, you you know, just (laughs) to pull their buttons and, you know, some things that they did that they would have not done now. And, uh, I think that's just a part of learning and growing and that is going to be uncomfortable. It is going Mm -hmm. to be uncomfortable. I don't, did you watch the quarterback thing on Netflix yet? Uh,
0: I haven't, I just got done watching the Steph Curry thing.
1: That was really good, and so you definitely need to watch this seven-part series with the quarterback. It's got Patrick Mahomes and his mentality on getting through some of the hard stuff, and it shows this whole road to the Super Bowl, which was not easy, and this man's training, and what you said earlier, what he did in private was now going to be praised in public. You witnessed that when he got that high ankle sprain, the the pain and agony. I, I made my son who stayed home sick today. I made him watch that. And there was some extracurricular uh, yeah. vocabulary throughout that whole thing. But I said, hey, I just want you to see what this is. He's like, dad, his ankle hurt really bad. And he's like, no, I'm going back in. I'm going back in. And he went and got that x-ray. He's like, if the x-ray is good, I'm going back in. He told Andy Reed to read that. And Andy's like, can't x-ray came came back negative and you remember that game. He's kind yeah, of hobbling, yeah, uh,
0: hobbling and he makes the plays and
1: <laughs> it was, uh, it was fantastic. I got chills watching that. That was the second time I watched it today and uh, not today, but the second time I watched it and uh, all that stuff that you talked about just kind of, you know, resonated with me. So man, that's uh those are some real gems that you, that you dropped there.
0: Yeah. no, isn't it crazy though? You said you go back and you've already watched it twice, but isn't it funny? You know, you watch something once and then you go back and you're like just what you can learn from seeing it multiple times. You know what I mean? And I think that goes with, um, you know, I think that goes with watching video and baseball or, you know, whether it's watching film and basketball or whatnot, you could watch that. But when you watch it a second time and a third time, you start seeing different things. And I think watching these documentaries, there's so many good things out there, man. We're so lucky to be around right now with all the great athletes and all the sports. I mean, you look at what Messi's doing all of a sudden, three goals or whatever it is that quick. And it's like the amount of pressure and everything that's on this guy, you know, and to sit there with our kids, I was sitting with my, my CJ and we are watching the Steph Curry thing. And I'm like, man, one day you're going to be able to just tell your kids, like I took him to a game last year. Like you saw, you know, the best shooter, whether you believe it or not, whatever the argument is, you know, one of them of all time. And it's just like, you're seeing what they go through. Right. I mean, you look at what he did at Davidson. It took, it took a coach to believe in him. I mean, that's just it, right? It took somebody to believe in him and say, I'm going to stick with you, you know, and, you know, look at what he's doing today. So I just, you know, when you said that, you saw it a second time. It's just, it goes to my mind of like, you know, I'm going to go back and rewatch it because you learned so many different things. And And it's cool. You can watch it with your own kid now because they're both at an age where they're like,
1: my no, cj fell asleep because he didn't he fell asleep <laughs> on it The good, i was like i was locked in i'm like oh this is awesome but what i really liked about that documentary was the fact that they showed all the hard stuff they didn't mm-hmm. they didn't fluff it up it wasn't like right. this you know i don't uh there was, are some documentaries where it's like oh it's all good but it was hard for him it wasn't easy at any at any and they could have really fluffed it up uh, and they didn't, and so that was what I really appreciated it most because that is where it's at. And um, on the Mahomes one too, he's uh, this, his trainer is telling him he's like, "Oh yeah, you're gonna do this." Basically, split split squat jumping one thirty five. He's like, he's like, "You want me to do you?" So what do you want me to do with this? What I just showed you. He's like, and Mahomes is like, "I'm not doing that." The guy's like, "Yes, you are. Yes, you are." And so he like he's like you can fill it out first. So he starts filling out, and then he freaking starts going. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. And I was like, "Oh yes, that's what I love." <laughs> I mean, he was just—it was amazing. He just started. And then you just start, doom doom. And the way he trains, it's exactly what he does on the field. It is exactly—he's mm-hmm. doing all these crazy movements, and that's the—that's what Dan is. What 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 you do in the those unseen hours, you are going to to reap the benefits at some point. So, well,
0: uh, I, I think, I think the, real quick oh, quick. oh, yeah. What do you got? Uh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, you know, working with athletes like we do all the time, I think the one thing in today's world we get away from is everyone's got access right at their fingertips. I think IQs have gone down in sports because kids can watch the highlights in two minutes and be like, yeah, I saw that dunk. Yeah, I saw that home run. You know, but they, they're they not listening to the game. They're not learning. it. one thing I tell all our athletes is, you know, sports are about feel, right? In my opinion, it's about feel. And it's about, you look at Steph Curry, it's like, they don't make an app yet that you could just click on and you're a great shooter. He's got to take those 500 shots when nobody's looking, right? He's got to rehab those ankles when he has injuries. You know, same with Mahomes when you talk about that. And that's what's cool about those documentaries is it shows that, you know, and we just live in today's world where we can get an answer whatever you want right now, you know, and I think, you know, it's a good thing in a lot of ways. And I think it hurts the athlete. I know at least on the IQ side of sports, um, you know, we grew up and everything was about watching and listening and learning, you know, now we get to see quick highlights and that's it. So you're not really learning the ins and outs from some of the best commentaries that we have, but that's what I like about those, you know, documentaries, like you said, it's just, it shows that, that grind, you know, and it shows our kids that grind. I think that's so important.
1: No doubt. Uh, as we start to close, talk about uh, all the stuff that you got going on with, uh, well, whether it be your pool business or cutting edge or uh, your nonprofit, uh, feel free to plug anything right now.
0: Yeah. Like you said, I, uh, you know, I started a company in 2018 called cutting edge fitness and sports. Um, I just, I had a vision. There's so many great baseball organizations out there that are doing it. that have done it a long time. Um, you know, and I felt like we have the personnel to, to do a lot with, like you're doing with Top Flight, right? Where we can, you know, offer lessons and camps and clinics with some of the best people in this area, um, using those resources, those relationships that we grew and bringing them under an umbrella um, just to teach, right? To try to better the game, do our best uh, to better the game. It's, it's, it started in 2018, um, a small little dream I had in a basement in Bismarck, North Dakota. I actually jumped in a car loaded up full of baseball stuff, drove back to California for a camp on the weekend that I named uh, dare to dream. I got shut down because of the fires, turned back, drove back to North Dakota two weeks later, I drove back, we did the camp. Um, and then that's when I knew we had to move back. I was like, we have something here. Um, so we do camps, we do clinics, um, individual private lessons, group lessons. Uh, we just launched the travel side of it. We have five teams. We have a development league, um, just, just a lot of cool stuff with great coaches Um I think, I think I've learned this from you, honestly, watching you all these years with top flight, people want to put the gas pedal down for you and say, you got to do this. You got to do that. We should do this. You should do that. But to me, it's, if you don't have the right personnel, you can't rush it. I mean, it's a brand you're protecting. Um, So, you know, we're taking it slowly. Things are growing great. Um, You know, you have phenomenal camps going right now. Nate Anderson leads those. I just, the dude's awesome. He's unreal. Um, So again, a lot of good people. Um, a lot of experience, um, you know, so we're doing that. And then I'm um, a nonprofit. I run with Kevin Euclid. It's called Grind to Shine, um, where we privately raise funds um, to help the underserved communities. Uh, last year, we touched 567 athletes. Uh, we did 11 camps with the Boys and Girls Club, East Valley YMCA. We're out in Luther Burbank High School, putting on two major camps out there on the weekend. So, again, man, just trying to give back. Um, you know, I understand where travel sports are. I understand uh, the cost that comes with everything, um, the hotels, just just the expense. and you know what? Um, you know there's arguments for both sides. I'm fully aware of that. I know you' you've heard everything. Um, but I think when it comes down to it, we all want what's best for our kid, you know, whether that's with you at top flight, us at cutting edge, um, you know, different competitors. I don't really look at people as competitors. I'm friends with all the guys that run all those organizations. I think that's what's cool. Um, you could brainstorm. You could talk. So um, that's what we're doing, man. Um, everything's you know so far. Knock on wood, going well. Um, so, like I said, we'll see day to day. We'll go with it. Um, but I, but I, I really believe if you sur- surround yourself with the right people, you don't burn bridges. Uh, you could, you could build something. You know. So it's something that we kind of hang our hat on, and it's something we're doing a lot like you do with Top Flight.
1: Awesome work, man. I'm, uh, I'm just so proud of you and all the things that you're doing, especially your. Uh, outreach and give it back to the community. Uh, I think that's fantastic. Um, yeah, so this has been awesome. I got one final question for you. If there should be somebody that should come on this show, who should it be? And you have to make the connection. There's one person that I would love to have on the show. We talked about him earlier. So no pressure we, on that.
0: <laughs> hold on. We, we talked about him earlier. Yep. Uh, and I can connect you with Kevin we, Euclid if that's what you're
1: looking at. I would love to have you on <laughs> the show. That'd be nice.
0: Yeah, no, I'll definitely, Chris. I'll work on that. Kev's great; he's a great interview. Um, you know, I know his season when it winds down, he's he's easier, he's easier to get. But I'll be honest, he's a wealth of knowledge. Um, he's somebody that um, really cares about the community, cares about kids, uh, and really cares about that. You know, it's the right people doing the right things, and that's something he really looks into. So I think that'd be a great interview. And uh, yeah, let me try to connect that relationship.
1: All right. Well, thanks, brother. I really <laughs> appreciate you.
0: All right, Chris. Appreciate it, man. Thanks. Keep doing it.
1: Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Buckets podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share the show with your friends. And until next time, take care.